guys. I hope you were able to maybe connect with some old friends you've seen in these meetings before, or maybe meet some new folks. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I know with the state of the market right now and kind of all the talk around the economy, it's good to have some new folks in your corner. Um, okay. So uh, what I'm going to do now is hand off the floor to Pete. So Pete, take it away, man. All right. Thanks, Megan. Um, today we're going to talk about entity formation and structure and how different entities can save you on your uh, tax. So <clears throat> we'll just kind of speak high level. And then after that, the little presentation, if you have specific questions, we can kind of get more into the weeds there. So um, the first entity that most people have when they're starting out, whether it's a, a self-employed business, is uh, they do their 1040 Schedule C. So they'll file on their personal income tax return, the 1040 Schedule C. So they'll have um, income that flows from the Schedule C onto their personal return, and then they'll pay tax on that. The problem with doing the Schedule C as a sole proprietor or as an LLC tax as a sole proprietor is all that income that's net profit, you end up paying employment tax on. So you end up paying 15.3% just in employment tax. So if you made $100,000, you know, you're paying $15,300 to the government for the employment tax, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. You do get a little tax break on the end of it, but just for this example, you know, that 15.3% goes straight out of your pocket and into the government's. Um, so depending on how much money you're making on your sole proprietor or LLC, um, staying in that can be beneficial because it's kind of easier and cleaner to file taxes. But once you hit over certain income thresholds, you'd really want to look into forming that LLC to be then taxed as an S-Corp. So by having it taxed as an S-Corp, you can actually pay yourself a reasonable W-2 wage. So back to that $100,000 example, let's say you go online, look at Indeed, you find a similar job posting for what you're currently doing and it's about $50,000. You can pay yourself a W-2 wage of $50,000. So that $50,000, you're gonna pay that 15.3% on, half from the company S-Corp, half from yourself as a W-2 wage. So that would save you about $7,600, $650, because you're only paying that 15% on 50,000. That other 50,000 to get you to that 100,000 mark, that's paid out as a distribution as for an S-Corp. So that distribution, since it's not really a wage or an earning, it's more kind of a bonus as a distribution for the profit in the company, that avoids that whole 15.3% um, employment tax. So by changing the tax status of your sole proprietorship, once you get over about that $50,000 threshold, you can save depending on the income of the company. In our example, you'd be saving another, you'd be saving $7,650 in taxable income by just keeping everything the same, but by electing S Corp status for your LLC. Uh, Chris, I see you have a question. Hey. <laughs> Good to see you, Pete. Um, yeah, you know, in that, yeah, in that, in that example, uh, you know, the yeah. fifty thousand of a hundred in income. Um, 
I mean, I find it's usually even less than, you know, 15% on that 50. I mean, in my, you know, like an example of a family of four, you know, your health insurance alone is going to be somewhere in the twenties, you know, range likely. And yeah. uh, that gets deducted, you know, and you're only end up paying, I guess, 20 something or, or 30 something rather than the whole 50 on the 15. So it's, it's even a bigger uh, um, rebate from what I find too. So agree. Yeah, correct. When you start adding the business deductions and other items, yeah, it does get lower. I was just kind of in that example, focusing on the self-employment, but yeah, definitely going to the S Corp, there's other benefits as well as you can claim the Augusta rule, which we've talked about on the Royal Tax Podcast. So that even lowers that oh, yeah, tax. On the top, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, just specifically yeah. off the salary portion of it. Yeah. You know, you know, I those kind of benefits don't have to be uh, the FICA, you know, taxes on, I find. But um, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't you also agree too that if you're like a serial entrepreneur and you have multiple jobs, uh, or multiple companies, you might find that job, you know, and it only pays 50, uh, but that's for maybe for a full-time position as well. And if you are, have multiple companies and you're only part-time, I think it's another, you know, excuse of why it, you could be, you know, you pay yourself less. Um, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, be reasonable. Got to find a reasonable comparison. <laughs> right. Right. And, I, I think the rule of, thumb and it's kind of very loose is, is do what you said about, you know, finding, uh, you know, a job description or something like that. But anything less than a third of your income, you better have plenty of documentation. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, 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 sorry. One last thing too, is that you mentioned uh, an LLC taxes and S corp. Do you find benefit doing that rather than just straight up S corp? Um, it it kind of depends on the, Personal situation. When you're first setting it up, some people may just have enough money just to pay for the LLC setup because you can go online and kind of do those through legals even cheaper. But it's they cheaper. may not they may not expect their business to grow or be as profitable as it is, so they might not have the foresight to do the S corp because the S corp does require a little more tax preparation. You got to file eleven twenty S. You got to kind of also have some. And Megan, you can speak on this more kind of not articles of incorporation, but a little more legalese to it. So Yeah, the documents and the process of getting the S-Corp set up and maintaining it well, the compliance for it is a good bit more. So, you know, for most folks who are just starting out, I think it's easier for them to start as an LLC with an S-Corp designation when it comes time, as opposed to getting very formal and trusting that folks who are just getting started out in business are going to know how to run the business and also the entity side of it for an S-Corp. Yeah. But if yeah. you're a serial entrepreneur and you have multiple businesses, I would just start with an escort. I mean, in your example. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I didn't even know any better. So I start with an escort. But if I had to do it over again, I probably would have done an LLC taxes and escort only because the corporate compliance, as you said, is uh, uh, a little more lenient. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, other than that, but it's really not all that tough either. I mean, you just do a, an annual meeting, I think, is really the only, um, well, not the only compliance, but one of the bigger ones. And I find that that's easy to do. Yeah. Um, uh, Ray, you have a question? Or- yes, Pete. Um, so I just have a quick uh, question. So I was just mentioning previously in the breakdown room, it's, what do you think is better to uh, be more appealing for banks, right? I know that people tend to, like, I have a partnership, right? So 
perhaps what should I like? My question is: I know that if you if you like to be asked for be double tax, right? There's there's double tax uh, taxation associated with that, right? But isn't it better if you do it as corp to be more appealing if you want to get like a loan on behalf of the corporation or instead of having, you know, file as a partnership and having your, the 50-50 full due to your personal tax? I don't know if that makes any sense, Pete, but. Yeah, from a loan standpoint, um, I'm, I'm not a lender, but I would think having a separate entity that, has a PL, then that issues UK ones because most likely they'll probably ask for the business income tax return 1120s. Right. My guess is they may also ask for your personal return, which is where the K1 will hit your personal return and flow their profits out. Okay. Okay. Um, does anyone else like have personal experience on what's better from getting a loan? Is it easier with having an S-Corp or is it easier just using your personal return using a 1065K1 instead of an S-Corp K1? Okay, no comments on that or? No, no experience on that side. Okay, no. yeah. What I can do is um, I have a few friends in banking and I'll ask, I'll shoot them a text and ask them their thoughts and then I'll post it in our uh, Discord channel. So Awesome. Thank you so much, Pete. Yeah, you're welcome, Ray. All right, Brandon, you have a question? Yeah. Um, the in, in your example where where uh, 50000 was paid out as, as W-2, um, am I assuming that the distributions would be taxed at uh, dividend rates? Or is uh, there the anything else involved there? Uh, the fifty thousand distribution would be taxed at your ordinary income rate. Wish it were at, dis at dividend yeah. rates. <laughs> we'll get there to the C corp, which, depending on how you do stuff, you can maybe get it out at capital gains. So, um, the distribution just avoids that fifteen point three percent employment tax, but it hits your personal return as a K one, which then you pay your ordinary tax rate on it. But you know you're already saving yourself that fifteen point three percent. Yeah. So, okay. Thanks. Um, that's, that's the one thing too, is as an S corp, once you get to a certain profitable amount or your business starts, let's just say instead of making a hundred thousand, it's making 600,000 to a million. At that point, it actually might be good at creating a C corporation. So the reason you want to look at a C corporation is, it has a federal tax rate of 21%. So if you have a million dollars in an S corp, you're probably going to be in the higher tax bracket of 37% once you pass that 530 some thousand mark. And you'll be paying like 37% of all your income then. Granted, once you do the tax brackets, it might be a tad lower, but theoretically, if you are making a million in your S corp, you're going to be in the 37% tax bracket. But if you go to a C-Corp and have a C-Corp classification, you're only going to be paying 21%, which then will kind of reduce your tax liability by 16%. Now, when you do put it in a C-Corp, um, the remaining money that the corporation made it is not in your bank account. It is in the company's bank account, and it stays there as retained earnings. 
but the company can reinvest it and grow and keep making money. Or you can pay a qualified dividend out of the S Corp into your own personal account a year later, a couple of years later, or just depending when you want to make that withdrawal. And most of those dividends will be taxed at 15%. But if you time it to, let's say, you retire, you have no income at all for the year, you're not taking any social security, you don't have a pension, you don't have any withdrawals from your 401k or other investments. Uh, if you're married, the first $83,350 in qualified dividends, you can pay zero tax on. So you can in essence just take that as a qualified dividend out of the C-Corp tax-free. Um, if you have ordinary income of let's say 50,000, and that's what you're making, you can then take 33,350 out of the C-Corp, pay 0% capital gain tax on. So really by putting up and opening a C-Corp, all you're doing is kind of deferring your taxes. And then you wanna do strategically withdraw the retained earnings when you have very low income. So you can pull more of it out at a lower capital gains rate and then thus at a lower tax rate. So. Did, did I get a little too in the weeds on that one or are you guys just pondering it? <laughs> okay. Um, has anyone that set up a C-Corp and done that or are they just still just kind of branching out between the different um, entities using an S-Corp? Maybe someday, not today. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I considered a while back, but that was also when uh, it was 28% rather than 21. And I'm also concerned that we're not going to stay at 21 forever. Yeah, that's that's very likely. <laughs> uh, but not, I mean, to get in the weeds even more, I, I, I've also considered, you know, doing a ROBS, you know, as a blocker corp for, uh, you know, doing active income out of a retirement account. Um, which can get very interesting too with the C-Corp, uh, which I believe is the only entity you can use for that. Um, and then, uh, you know, you're not paying any income on anything above that 20.1%. Yeah. Yeah, that 21%, I, my guess, it will go back up. I don't think it will go above 28, but it, it probably won't stay at 21, but who knows? <laughs> So. Yeah, you know, the only thing I know is, you know, death and taxes. And I, I'm usually an optimist, but uh, we're probably going to go up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. So, um, so that's kind of the big uh, three entities, main entities that people use. Um, again, it just really depends kind of what state or what stage in your business you're in. So um, one really high level, I guess I want everyone to take from it is when you're starting to, whether you're in the process of becoming a real estate investor or starting your own business or already established, you really want to look at your entity because that entity structure can save you thousands of dollars in taxes. And especially with the current economic environment and who knows if it'll get better or worse over time, um, the more you can just save in taxes, the, the better you'll be off financially. So it's kind of worth doing a second look. And if you need us to do it, just uh, give me a con uh, email or contact RLS and we can help set up like a tax planning and strategy session to look to make sure your entities are correct. 
Uh, Brendan, do you have a question? Yeah. Um, what what type of entities would you recommend if the bulk of your income is uh, Schedule E income that's not subject to um, to the the self employment taxes? Yeah, I think in that instance, Schedule E flows through. It's it's passive income. You don't have to pay self employment tax on it. So if you if you're wanting more money in your pocket, I'd probably just stick with the Schedule E and pay the ordinary income. Um, if you're wanting to save more in taxes and not have as much money in your pocket, you could set up some different operating management companies where you peel off some of that passive income as a management fee, which then you can put into savings or you can do other things with, but then you're going to be paying that self-employment tax on it. So depending on the individual, it's a lot of times you want to go all passive income because you avoid the 15.3%. You just pay the ordinary and usually your passive income is lower because of the depreciation. Don't you find that you got to be a little bit careful too, because if you want professional, you know, real estate professional status, and if you're all passive, you're not going to qualify. So starting right. up that management company so that you can show hours toward it, it kind of makes, uh, I find makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's correct. If you need active income to pass, if you need, if your active income is high and you need that passive loss to offset it, you'll definitely want to probably set up an LLC tax as an S, uh, as a sole proprietorship or an S corp. Um, but if you're pass, if you don't have active income and you're all passive income, you, I, I think you'd be fine sticking with how you have it. But if you have all passive income and you have a whole bunch of losses, you know, on paper, you still need that professional status if you were going to want to use all of it. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. To offset other active income. Uh, Brendan, in your specific example, are you are you talking about rental income? Yes. Got it. Um, I, I think there was a question, Pete, up. Uh, you know, in the uh, in the chat about uh, the differences between LLCs and S corp, like why you would choose one over another. Uh, yeah. Did we, did we go over that? I might've had a brain fart there. No, I, no, I'm just now seeing the chat questions. So what, you're referring to the one, what are the benefits of an S corp over the LLC? Yeah. Yeah. So my personal opinion is it depends on your dollar amount. If you're under 40 to 50,000 in income, probably staying as an LLC might be worth it because you don't have the administration head, administrative headache of having someone do a W-2 for you through Gusto or ADP or your other type of bookkeeper. You don't have to have those annual meetings. And the cost benefit of actually doing an S-corp conversion and paying the taxes, paying the fees, paying the unemployment, it may not benefit the savings you would get if you're about under that fifty dollars to $40,000 threshold. Once you hit that forty to fifty thousand dollars threshold and have income above it of at least ten to twelve thousand, let's say, that's when I'd start looking at doing the S corp because then all these excess costs of having an S corp are still under what the tax benefit is. So at, the, at that point, your cost benefit's positive because you're getting more savings and taxes than you are having to pay out for having that S corp. So that usually hits at that forty to fifty thousand dollar rate. Um, as well as, as the S Corp, you can do the Augusta rule, which can save you, depending where you live, a couple grand to quite a 
bit of money, actually. Isn't there also the liability concern? The LLC is so much better in terms of your uh, asset protection. Yeah, so you, you can have an LLC taxed as an S-Corp, and then it's a separate entity. The S-Corp is its own tax entity. And yeah, both have the same status for liability purposes? Um, yeah, it should have the same um, asset protection status on that. Megan, do you have any thoughts on that, or is she, is she still on the call? Hey, hey, another uh, benefit that I see with the, uh, you know, even if you're over, you know, you mentioned that forty, fifty thousand dollar, you know, threshold, which you know, it's everybody's a different situation. But you know, if you're purely passive income and, you, and let's say you're a hundred grand, I still wouldn't start, you know, an escort because if you're purely passive, you don't have to pay those FICA taxes. So. Correct. You know, the benefit of an LLC, I mean, you, you, it's the rule of thumb is you just don't have rental property in an S-Corp and it's because you don't have to pay the FICA taxes. And is there also some issues with when you sell the property too, it's a, it's a nightmare out of an S-Corp or, or just very tax heavy as compared to an LLC? Correct. Yeah, because you're transferring ownership and then there's a taxable gain, even though there really is no taxable gain because it left you as an entity that was the owner to the S-Corp as the owner and entity. So yeah, if you're all passive income, stick with the, I'd stick with the LLC, do your series LLC, and I don't even do the S-Corp. The S-Corp's more for active in the active income arena. Yeah. So yeah, yeah good catch. Thanks, Chris. Sure. It, but I have one question. Um, so what, for whatever discussion we are having in terms of um, LLC, does when it comes to taxation, DST is equivalent to LLC, or will there be any difference? A DST? Yes. Uh, a DST is a trust that will issue a 1099 usually to the beneficiaries of the trust, and then that will get reported on your tax return on your personal tax return. Okay, so it will be uh, it will be reported on Schedule E, just like uh, 1099 MISC. Uh, 1099 MISC, it, depending on how they issue it, it should be reported as ordinary income, yeah. Okay. You won't have to pay self-employment tax on it. Now, are, are you looking at a DST as like a, uh, a passive syndication or are you looking at DSTs um, for, for asset protection that you may be the, the sole beneficiary of? Yes, primarily as asset protection. And I will be... I'm using them to hold my rental uh, properties. So uh, what you said, Pete, is that I will have to pay self-employment tax on those. You won't have to pay employment tax on that, no. Won't have to, okay, thank you. Again, the best way to look at it is if it's passive income, you don't pay self-employment. If it's active income, you do. Yeah. And... Uh... And rentals are considered passive, even though they're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Landlords and people, owners, they put a lot of work into them. And yeah. A lot of passive business. But hey, if, if I don't have to pay the self-employment tax for that work, I'll take it. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the tax system was made to benefit landowners. So, uh, yeah. Hopefully, it will stay that way. Yeah. And that, that, that's a good point is... Depending on your strategy, I mean, a lot of the books out there is take your active, make buy passive income, 
quit your day job, get that financial freedom number from your passive income and just stay passive income and then live off that. So that's kind of the general theme of a lot of the books. But, you know, if you want to get a little more entrepreneurial, then you're back to active. <laughs> so I don't know. Even when I retire, Pete, I mean, I, I, I still think having that active component, you know, management company, uh, it's just good for anything that comes along that you just want to kind of feed into that. And it's just easier to take write-offs yeah. uh, in other ways. Um, so I'm always trying to kind of go that route. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's personal preference. So I, yeah. Uh, the goal is to try to lower that self-employment to zero or half. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pete, what is your feeling on LLCs for, you know, asset protection, just for your personally, like if you hold a bunch of stock, uh, do you recommend LLCs to clients? I mean, I, I guess it depends on how much you have, but let's say you have a client that has substantial wealth and in, in, in the stock market, do you recommend it uh, in LLCs or do you just recommend that they just keep it in their living trust? Uh, title to the living trust or, or something like that? Um, I'm going to default to Megan if her mic works on it. If not, I would say to be over on the cautious side, you could create its own LLC just to keep separating it from you. Um, I'm not yeah, sure what we, protections are in We typically end. recommend it goes in some type of entity. Yeah. That's what I thought, but I didn't want to... I, 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 I've considered it myself, but <laughs> California is so loose when it comes to single member LLCs. I think I'm just paying extra fees for, uh, you know, uh, just throwing it out the door. So I just make sure to have a high umbrella and hopefully that will help. Um, do you see people with DSTs for just stock portfolio? Yeah. Yeah. We set them up a good bit. Okay. Yeah, like, you, like you said, Chris, good point is, uh, Annually, look at your umbrella insurance policy. Make sure it covers your assets, um, especially depending on what states. Some are a little more litigious or lenient on giving higher payouts to where, you know, that's something you want to look at every year, especially if you don't have it set up in that entity of its own LLC. Um, like you said, it might be cheaper just to pay more for an umbrella policy so you're covered that way. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and the... I mean, they don't tend to be as expensive as people think they are, uh, especially when you already have one and, and to increase it. Um, but, you know, they're known for trying to avoid payouts. So that's why it's always good to have an entity as well, if you can. Yeah. Or consider it. That's true. Can I, can I ask a basic question? Yeah. Um, is that possible, you know, to get the loan, you know, LLCs, uh, it doesn't work. No, I opened with my personal loan. And then now, is it possible to move under LLC, the rental home? Is it possible or not possible? Yeah, so you'd get the loan in your personal name. And then really, the LLCs probably get to flow up to you as a sole membership and be, it's, it's you're still the owner of the LLC. It's more of just like an asset protection side. From a tax side, I don't believe there there wouldn't be any issues from a legal side, Megan. Is there any issues on putting it in a land trust or? We're talking about personal or rental property? Personal property yeah. or? The rental property. Ah, well, I don't want to step on Megan's shoes. I don't know if she's on or off, but, uh, and I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> but it, I mean, it, it's pretty common that if you're getting like a, a really favorable loan, 
yeah, then throw it, you know, do it in your personal name, throw it into a land trust, and then change the beneficial interest of that land trust over to your LLC is kind of the traditional way people do it. Um, and then uh, if you have to sell it or, or if there's anything wrong, you can just switch that beneficial interest or put it right back into your name. Yeah, yeah, that's how we do it. Now, I will say the caveat to that is if you have any kind of alternative finance and you ever go into it, like refis or anything, let us know. Um, that can have an impact on it. But yeah, land trust is a good spot for it. I see. I mean, and I have a you know, really low, so probably I may not do the refi, but and I like to move the under LLC for the liability protection. Um, I didn't I, I didn't able to find a way to do it, so... I will contact you, Megan, then for help. You know, Robbie, something else to consider too is that, you, you know, uh, some of the, well, I don't know how many rentals you have and what loans you have, but I'm, I'm finding most of the lenders will let you buy it in the LLC. Uh, I mean, if you got a Fannie Freddie and you're in your first 10, you know, uh, and you're going to get the best rate possible. So that's smart to do it in your uh, own personal name. But anything above that, it's I'm finding compared to a number of years ago, it's very easy to purchase out of an LLC. Okay. Thank you, Chris. And I could give some recommendations if, if people need it uh, for potential lenders. Mm-hmm. Please. It's not something where I'm getting a percent and <laughs> like that. It's just ones that I've used. Thank you, Chris. Can you post, can you give us that information? I'll, uh... Yeah, I just sent me a tech, uh, Yeah, I'm, let me see. I've got a good one right now. I'll put up there. I, I will contact you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, sorry. One of the questions they had: What is the advantage of holding securities in the DST? They don't pose any liability threats. Um, really, just by putting the the. You drive on streets. <laughs> the securities in the DST is. If you or your child or spouse end up getting in a wreck, your car insurance may not cover the cost of the medical or you may get sued. And if your 401k and all that's in your personal name, they could theoretically maybe go after that or any of the profits after that. Well, if it's in a DST, the DST is the owner of it. They can't sue your, um, pretty much your assets. They can't get to your stocks that way. So well, like, yeah, it's just a lot harder. Correct. You're right. Just, There's always a way. Yeah. I just want to add one point here uh, from a litigation point of view. If uh, the lawsuit comes from operation of your business, most likely the uh, plaintiff's lawyer will put the company's name and your personal name on the lawsuit together because they know you are the owner, so you will become the defendant, right? However, on the flip side, if the lawsuit comes from your personal uh, activity, like car, accident, those kind of things, it's very unlikely that they will put all of your LLCs as defendant. So think about that way. If your uh, assets, your stocks, whatever is under different LLCs, and then you personally have a lawsuit, um, it's not that likely that all of your LLCs and DSTs will become defendant. So it's safer that way, uh, in my opinion. That's it. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing, Julie. Mm-hmm.
Now, follow-up question, you know, when you move to LLC, is that umbrella policy that still covers the LLCs? Or do you need to amend? Usually it's business so that you're going to acquire a different policy. So yeah, that's a very good point to bring up. You got to be careful with that. Um, or at least let the current insurance company, you know, you know, ask them. I mean, uh, you got to stay covered. Yeah. More often than not, that's going to look like adding additional insurance is what we found. So, but Chris is spot on. You really just need to talk to your insurance provider. There's a couple of ways they can do it, but there will be an update to the policy at a bare minimum. Yeah. I, I, I wish I could combine all my, <laughs> I got a, a few different umbrella policies for the same reason. It's just personal versus the LLCs are completely different entities. So it's very unlikely you're going to get it under the same policy, but I would love somebody to prove me wrong so I could save some money. <laughs> uh, there's also the fact too, I mean, you know, a lot of people own rental properties with other business partners. And that's another reason why you would need a different umbrella policy because, you know, your personal is your personal or maybe with your spouse and the others with, uh, you know, different members. So different policy. Yeah. And, and I, I see a comment saying LLCs are $800 each in California. Uh, that's for the most part, correct. But it's an 800 minimum. Yeah, plenty of years I've had where it's well above that. Um, so, yeah, keep that in mind. Yeah, Franchise Tax Board. Yep. One of the benefits of living in the Golden State. One of the benefits of the DST is avoiding that for each entity. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've considered going over that. Unfortunately, most of my entities were created, well, really before I knew anything about DSTs and especially DSTs for asset protection. Um, so I'm actively considering that. It's, it's, it gets a little more complicated, you know, if you've got multiple partners and with different entities and I don't know how well a DST is going to work for me in that regard. So I might have to have a conversation with you, Megan, or somebody at Royal to see if that makes any sense for me. Yeah, that's something we can do. I mean, the DST, just kind of give everybody else a little primer. You can have separate partners per child series. There's ways to do it. Now that has some tax implications and some organizational admin type stuff we need to consider. But if you have outside partners, I wouldn't automatically discount the DST as an option. Well, that's great. Well, I mean, not to get too much in the weeds here, but I mean, assuming that's a partnership and I mean, I, I assume they all filled up, you know, filtered up to the top. So that, yeah, that, so the, the ones that share common ownership. So any child series that has the exact same ownership structure as the parent DST flows up through. Um, but if you've got a child series where you have, you know, partner C comes in um, and is not involved in the parent or any other child series, we would get that new child series. It's only in, it would have a bank account because there's outside partners um, and it's a different tax reporting. Um, but it, it can be done that way. You still have it under the parent DST, but it is still, it's kind of a side gig. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Chris, DSTs were designed for syndication. So, yeah, definitely look into them. They're kind of a newer structure. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've yes. I, I just wasn't aware that it really worked well in the partnership situation where you have multiple partners with different uh, projects and 
I, I know what you're saying by syndication, but that's still usually the same manager and the same, uh, you know, people involved and it's all coalesced into one. Whereas this is different partners are totally excluded from each other, if that makes sense. Yeah, so if you look at Delaware law, each series is its own entity and can only be liable for each series and it's not related to the other ones. So you From can- From a liability standpoint, liability. Uh, yeah. I, I always understood that, but I didn't really get was that, uh, I, I thought they still all flowed up to the parent, but um, I'm being educated well now that that's not, doesn't have to be the case. So it's great. Well, you're open to design the- the operating agreement any way you want, just like you would an LLC. So it's pretty open how you want to split the partnership. Nice. Looks like I'll be spending some money to uh, create another entity. <laughs> <laughs> as long as this cost benefit, right, Chris? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, everything, everything that way. I mean, it's uh, even if it's a bunch of upfront costs, if in the end, yeah. you know, save money over a certain number of years or uh, you can sleep better at night. You know, I know a lot of people who have LLCs that live in California and don't form qualify back here. And, you know, you might be fine for years, but uh, the FTB has been known to look back and you could be paying penalties and tax on the tens of thousands of dollars. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, rolling the dice, I guess. Yeah, that is true. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> all right. Looking at the questions. Um, the only other one I can really see that I don't think we've talked too much on was LLC tax as an S corp versus actually converting to an LLC. So from a tax standpoint, there's really not a difference between an LLC tax as an S corp and an entity created right off as an S corp. So on the administrative and legal side, I think you just, I think Chris spoke on it earlier. You do have to have the annual meeting on the S corp setup and there's a few more documents and articles or some sort of formation that I think is a little more on the S corp side, but from a tax side, there's not really a difference. Isn't it a little bit easier though, if you're first starting out, you got an LLC, let's say you did get the LLC and it's not an S corp yet, you know, converting it from an LLC to a straight up S corp, or if you had, if you it's instead start as an S corp and then you want to convert to an LLC, I, I don't know, it seems like it's easier if you have an LLC, it's taxed as a sole proprietorship and then you change it over to an S corp. Yeah there's a little bit easier uh, way to do that rather than if it's you start with an S corp and then convert it to an LLC if you had to, for some reason. Correct. But I'd also mention I'd be very careful that if people are doing an LLC just because they want to corporate compliance, I would still highly recommend you, you follow a lot of that corporate compliance because, you know, if you're starting to intermingle your personal funds with the LLC and you're not doing compliance and you live in a half, well, even if you don't live in a digital state, if it's a big enough lawsuit, they're going to, they're going to find a way to pierce that. So treat it like a business, regardless of the entity. Yeah. Yeah. Have your documentation in order and then keep good books and good informations and records. Cause 
Don't get lazy. Don't get lazy. Don't get lazy. Get a pattern and 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 develop it and use it. And it, everything flows through that. The whole Augusta rule thing too works much. I love it because I just use it as my business meetings and I conduct a business meeting. You get all the write-offs and you get all the liability protection of actually running it like a business. So, yep. That's true. I, you know, Pete, I would also mention too, you know, look, with people who are just starting out, this can be, it's, it can seem kind of daunting. What entity do I pick? And, you mm-hmm. know, what are the tax implications? And uh, how much do I got to pay an accountant? I, I would recommend that if you're just starting out and you haven't even figured out what part of real estate you're going to be in, focus on making money first. Get yourself yeah. to a position where you, you, you've got consistent income and, and then convert over. Unless you know right away you're going to be making a ton of money. And I'm not talking about fake it to make it stuff. I mean, if you really already know something is going to be set up, then don't be lazy about it. Start up the entity. But if you're really just kind of figuring it out, you know, relax on that, in my opinion. And, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, but I just find people get lost in the weeds and then they spend so much time on that that they're not focusing on, hey, I'm just starting out here. I got to figure this out. Yeah, I would say on the the starting out business, I'd want the asset protection stuff done soon or earlier than the tax. I mean, to me, that's more important. Tax stuff, you may overpay a little bit for a year or two, but we can always adjust that. We can always elect the S-Corp status with as long as it's in the first three months of the current year or for the following year, we can get it elected. So I would agree, focus on making a profit to where your cash flow is positive. And then I'd look at getting the proper asset protection set up. And then once that's set up and your profits are growing and growing, then step into like the tax planning and strategy session where we can then kind of map out here, once you hit this metric or this financial goal, switch over to an S corp or stay as a schedule or stay as an LLC and just keep it passive. But if you want to start branching out into other businesses, you may want to look at this entity, but still keep this entity as it is. So that's where I would agree. Once you get a certain threshold or you already know you're doing that, then yeah, pay the upfront costs. But um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to your point too, is that, you know, sometimes when people first start out and let's say they're not making a lot of money, an excuse can be, well, you know, what do I need asset protection for? Because, I, you know, go ahead and sue me. I'm just going to declare bankruptcy. I don't have much assets. I don't make much. My argument to that would be, well, do you want your wages garnished for the rest of your life too? Is that comfortable with you? Because just because you're not making a lot doesn't mean that they yeah. can't start taking it away into your future earnings. So uh, be careful with that too. Yeah. And you could have a lot of equity in the property. I mean, it just kind of depends when you bought it. So you know, I think a good rule of thumb is when you start incurring liability, it's time to get that asset protection structure. And what we've seen is, you know, typically that coincides when you start making a little money and can start investing in it. When you're first getting going and you're getting your operations in place and you're identifying properties and things like that, you're not in a litigious state. That's not going to be something that's going to probably come up for you. But as soon as you start getting tenants and contractors and things around where you've probably got some capital to flow out to it, 
it's probably time to start getting that asset protection in place. And I think Pete's right. You know, start with something that is simple, scalable. And then when you need to move to that S Corp, you've got the funds for that kind of thing. That's going to be a little later down the road. And so, you know, Liz just dropped in the chat for us um, our asset protection quiz link. And I think that's a good place to get started because it kind of walks you through of what's your current structure and and we can get you resources that'll lead you then to where really should you be starting. Um, And then once you kind of get that frame of mind of here's what you want to do or what you think you may want to do, here's the structures you may need, Get a little time in your belt. Let's get you with Pete, get the taxes set up. But I do think there's a natural flow from business inception idea to the point where you need to go taxes and asset protection typically falls in the middle of that. Yeah, thanks, Megan. That's a good point. Um, one question is a qualified dividend. So a qualified dividend is usually... As a practical matter, most stock dividends are considered qualified. Now, there are some dividends that hit ordinary income, but from a US IRS standpoint, most dividends are qualified. So if you haven't retained earnings for multiple years, it's probably going to qualify as a, it will be a qualified dividend, and that's where you get the capital uh, tax rate on it. Um, so I, there's like not a there's a, not a real specific line on it, but there is just most U.S. dividends are qualified. So, I, I guess where I, I have a question, Pete, is uh, I mean, with REITs, I think the dividends on the, are those aren't those considered ordinary income? On a REIT, it would be because it's not a, like the retained earnings where the company's kept it for a year or two. So, on the C corp example I gave earlier, you would just keep bank and profits. Instead, distribute them like you have to in an S corp. You just keep building the retained earnings; those are kept over time, which then that would qualify as the capital gain. But REITs, are, I think, are more of a. I think those are ordinary because they're an active kind of business. You're not getting a dividend from a Apple, Microsoft, power companies where the retained earnings are built over the life of the corporation. So. A REIT is required to distribute their their earnings, so they're not able to hold them long term. Yeah, can't remember the percentage. Just like ninety or ninety five percent of the earnings, I think they're required to to dish out in a dividend. Yeah, same with S corp too. That's why it goes to the ordinary income through your K one. So. All right. Any other questions? Paul, you kind of had your hand up for a sec, but then put it down. Are you? No, I was responding. Somebody sent me a message and I was responding that way. Gotcha. Great. So um, what it looks like I have one task is to talk to some of my friends in banking to see if getting a loan through an S-Corp or just keeping it through your personal names easier. I'm thinking it's going to be the same answer, but I'll I'll post that in Discord once I get feedback from them. So, um, anybody else have a question or? All right, then I, I got one yeah. real quick. Yeah, go ahead. When are you going to get back to me on my tax strategy? I'm working on it. I've just got right. kind of bombarded with some stuff, Matt. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I look forward right. to that. Thanks. Yeah, no, you'll have it sooner than later. So sorry about that. That's okay. Yeah. All right, bye. 
All right, guys. Well, thanks for another great meeting. Thanks, Pete, for joining us today. Yep. Um, so like, Pete, be, take an eye on the Discord. Pete's going to be posting some stuff there. Like we mentioned, the quiz is a great resource to get plugged in for our team as well. So you've got the resources we can send to you. We know how to tailor them to exactly your circumstances. But hope everybody has a great week, um, and we'll see you guys next Wednesday. Thank you.